Good morning, church family. Has the Lord made you glad? I think the kids pretty much preached the sermon, didn't they? What a blessing. What a blessing. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Psalms. Psalm 118, which is all to do with Palm Sunday, as it turns out. Oh, I love that sound. But you should be getting there pretty pretty soon. Psalm 118 and verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. Now turn to the end of the psalm. You might have to turn the page. I do. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. This psalm is to do with the great mercy of our Lord. If you are one of God's people, if you are someone on whom the Lord has lavished his love, this psalm exclaims to you that his mercy, his loving kindness, that word kesed that we've been seeing so often in these psalms, His loyal love for you endures forever. Are you glad for that? The Lord has given a great victory to his anointed king, King Jesus. And the psalmist wants us to know that both the king and his people enjoy this great victory. So this morning, we're just going to look at a portion of the psalm. I know some of you are getting nervous already, seeing it's 29 verses. Uh, We're just going to look at a portion of this psalm and uh, trust that our Lord will give us grace to see Jesus here in the pages of his word. Look at verse 15 with me, please. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will go through them, and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and he has given us light. 
Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. This psalm is the most quoted psalm in your New Testament because it is overtly messianic. It's all to do with the Lord Jesus. It's the only psalm that is quoted um, by all four gospel writers, uh, and it is those uh, gospel writers who tell us that when Jesus entered Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday, the multitude shouted out to him from Psalm 118. This is to do with Jesus. And yes, this ancient hymn does celebrate the Lord delivering his people Israel from their bondage in Egypt uh, during the Exodus. In fact, it was sung by the Jewish people, uh, including Jesus and his disciples at Passover. It's the last of the Hillel choruses in the Psalms. And yes, Psalm 118 uh, does seem to hint at a victory won by King David, who came in the name of the Lord to slay the great enemy of God's people, Goliath. But both the Exodus and David's victory foreshadow a far greater victory won by the Lord's anointed king. That's the victory. We celebrate today. That is why Palm Sunday is such a glad day. We find this psalm's ultimate fulfillment then in the Lord Jesus Christ. So all of what we think of when we think of Passion Week, and I pray you're thinking of it beginning now if you haven't already started, all of the events that we think of when we think of Passion Week we will see foreshadowed here in this psalm. And and it begins with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. That's that's what makes this a Palm Sunday psalm. So just think about what you know from the Gospels about Palm Sunday. Matthew's Gospel tells us that Jesus rode into the city of David and, and approached the Temple Mount and people from within the city ran out to greet him. People who were coming into the city joined the crowd and all of them laying their palm branches on the ground as if to welcome a king. And they shouted this glad chorus, didn't they? Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Pastor Darrell mentioned earlier, Hosanna meaning save now. It's a direct quotation from Psalm 118. The people were not freelancing that day. This was very much on their minds. Psalm 118 is to do with the king of God's people. The king has come to save his people. And so King Jesus enters Jerusalem, Matthew tells us, to these glad cries. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Salvation for God's people has come. And here's the thing. 
Our concern this morning is not so much with all of the events of Palm Sunday. We often do that on Palm Sunday. We turn to the Gospels and we see uh, the the events described there. Uh, Psalm 118 um, helps us with the meaning of it all. How do we explain what happened that day and then the week that followed that day? And the verse that we will focus on um, primarily this morning, so really this is the beginning of the message anyway, right, Uh, is verse 19 of Psalm 118. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. (laughs) The psalmist, um, more than likely David, though we're not sure, um, is using poetry to describe access to God, the gates to God, if you will. I wonder this morning, do you have access to God? Do you have a sense of what that is? These gates of righteousness lead to God. They lead to glad friendship with God, the welcome of God who is loyal to his own. And these gates are called the gates of righteousness. Why? Because only the righteous receive God's welcome. I wonder this morning, are you righteous? To such an extent and in such a way that you have the assurance of God's welcome. You know, it's very common in our day for people to believe that just, as, just about everybody deserves a warm welcome from God. It doesn't matter what religion you are. So long as you're basically good and your measure of goodness will do just fine, maybe my measure of goodness will do just fine. It doesn't matter what you believe, some people say, so long as you're sincere always lead to God. Have you heard this? Of course. It's a, it's a prevailing heresy in our day. It's very possible that someone here this morning is thinking such thoughts. And I want to just tell you today, I'm glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're here. Because the thing of it is, friends, is all ways do lead to God. Always do lead to God. It's not getting to God that is the issue. Everybody in this room is going to get to God one day. It's whether he welcomes you or not that is the issue. Will God be for you one for whom his mercy endures forever? Will he welcome you? I wonder, who can he welcome? Well, sings the psalmist, it's the righteous. Open to me the gates of righteousness. And yet to everyone in this room, the scriptures shout just as loud. There is none righteous, no, not one. Well, what a strange thing. What what a horrifying thing. The gates to God, the gates of righteousness are open to all who are righteous. And yet the scripture says to men and women like us, there is none of you righteous. 
From the day you are born, the gates of righteousness are not open for you. They are not open for me. They are closed tightly against our approach. Who will open these gates, these gates to God? For whom will these gates open? That's the issue. Yes, all ways lead to these gates. All ways do lead to God in that sense. But these gates will remain closed to you on your own. There is no welcome for any of the sons of Adam, any of the daughters of Eve. Why is that? Well, because as their descendants... Surely we've descended into their sin, not to mention our own. And if you want to know just how deeply we've descended into sin, just try to remember your first thought about the first sin recorded in the book of Genesis. How many read the account of the fall of Adam and Eve and think to themselves, what was the big deal? They just ate a piece of fruit. Good heavens, I've done worse than that. And not one of us may open these gates on our own merits, the scripture says. Let alone go inside these gates of of glad welcome to God. It's, It's a terrible predicament, really. It's a predicament that Jesus himself described with these words. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. Jesus may well have had Psalm 118 on his mind as he taught from his great sermon. The narrow gate, the gate of righteousness. The wide gate is the always lead to God gate. The broad way is the live as you want, think as you want, do what you want way. And yet God comes to us in his word this morning and he shouts to us, you, they're on the broad way. You're being led to destruction. Always do lead to God. And if you stay on the broad way to God, you will find God in his wrath eternally. There is none good. No, not one. How narrow is the gate that leads to life, we wonder. Well, it's, it's a gate of righteousness, isn't it? And, and doesn't your conscience say to you this morning, it's too narrow for you? How difficult is the way that leads to life, we wonder. Well, how difficult would it be, do you suppose, for you from this day forward to be perfect? I mean, just, just from today on. And even if you could, and you cannot, 
How difficult would it be to undo every sin you've ever committed? And then to further erase any record of any sin you've ever committed. Try as you might. You cannot, you could not do such a thing. There are none righteous. And the conscience of men and women like us testifies against us when we hear this part of God's gospel. And you know what that is, friends? That is a blessing from God. That is God-given spiritual sight to see yourself, for me to see myself, for who I really am, a sinner before a holy God. So why is Palm Sunday such a, such a glad day then? I mean, why, why all the singing? Why would that psalm begin with glad praise and then end with glad praise? It's because God has sent his people a king to, to deliver and to open these gates of righteousness for his people. A king who says on the authority of his own righteousness, open to me the gates. I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. You see, this processional psalm, used as it was on Palm Sunday, describes Israel's king leading God's people in worship. The the gates of righteousness open only to the king and only to those who belong to the king may enter into God's presence. Let me ask you something. Do you belong to the king? You, you, you have a sense of what that is? This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. The king himself is the gate. <laughs> the gate through which the righteous shall enter is Christ himself. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now in that sense, you still listening? In that sense, the the, the crowds on Palm Sunday got it right, didn't they? They they were absolutely right about Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth had come into Jerusalem that day in the name of the Lord, as the king of God's people. It's just that he didn't come in the way their emotions suggested that he ought to. Palm Sunday is sort of a bittersweet day in that sense, isn't it? We never really know what we're supposed to be, do with Palm Sunday. Is it a happy time? Is it a sad time? What is it? And the answer is yes, right? <laughs> the people's glad shouts that day would fade quickly, and there would soon be shouts of crucify him, crucify him. Who? The one who came in the name of the Lord? Why? Well, think about it this way. Lots of people today get very emotional about Jesus. There's no trouble with that. Lots of people today get very enthused about Jesus. Especially this time of year. 
and yet they lack clarity about who he really is. So as soon as the palm branches are put away, as soon as the, the, the egg hunts are over and all of the peeps are gone, or maybe you just throw them away, Jesus is the furthest person from their minds. Jesus is at best to some people a couple of holidays in a given year. He's at best a religious insurance policy for a day every conscience testifies is to come. Are you hearing this? He's misunderstood. And he's mismeasured. How was Jesus misunderstood and mismeasured on the first Palm Sunday, do you suppose? Well, it was, it was to do with those palm branches, wasn't it? What was that all about? The palm branch was a symbol of Jewish identity. And the Jewish zealots who, who longed to overthrow the Roman oppressors used the palm branch as the symbol of their resistance. And so the hubbub in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday was really a frenzied political rally, wasn't it? You could say it was a patriotic rally. If you can imagine such a thing as people confusing their patriotism with the kingdom of God. The people so badly want Jesus to be the king who throws off the Roman oppressors that they worshiping, worship him as such. And, and the thing of it is, is they're, they're, they're cheering for a Jesus of their own imagining. Not unlike the person today whose bumper sticker says, Jesus is my co-pilot. Friend, if Jesus is not more than your co-pilot, you do not know Jesus as he is. Yes, the kingly majesty of Jesus is being proclaimed on that first Palm Sunday, says Matthew. But the context, again, is more of a political rally. It's a patriotic rally. It's not really a welcoming of the Son of God who is arriving to break open the gates of righteousness for his people. So the crowd disappeared as soon as Jesus did not meet their wrong expectations of him. Who is that? Oh, it's Jesus, the fellow from Nazareth. So Psalm 118 shows us Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. There's more, though. This this psalm also shows us Jesus' rejection by the Jewish religious leaders. Did you notice that when we were reading it? They were supposed to be the builders of, of God's temple, God's church, and yet they rejected the very Messiah, the king they claimed to believe in. Jesus didn't meet their expectations either. Ironically, the scribes and Pharisees, good Hebrew people that they were, they would have sung this song as well, Psalm 118. Think of the words they would have sung in verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. 
What in the world is that about? The, the chief cornerstone is the stone that is laid first, right? It's the stone around which every other stone must be in alignment if the building is to stand. Everything in the building finds its strength and its security based on its rightful place in orientation to the cornerstone. And it's Matthew's gospel, again, that that records Jesus explaining to the religious leaders of his day that Psalm 118 refers to him. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Haven't you read the Bible? You who teach the Bible? Well, the religious leaders had read the scriptures, hadn't they? And they had actually taught others to to be attentive to the scriptures. But here's the thing. They certainly were not going to allow their lives to be brought into an alignment with King Jesus. What about you? Because if you're to sing of Christ as cornerstone, that actually means something. And there are many religious people today who name God, who who speak even of being Christians. But but they're not at all about to get their lives in line with Christ as king. And today, there are many religious leaders even, aren't there? And they've built uh, mega this and mega that all over the world. But but they're they're not going to get their lives in line with King Jesus. They've rejected the one who is the cornerstone. And friends, let Palm Sunday remind you this day that you cannot have Christ as Savior and not as King. The King is the Savior. The Savior is the King. And there is no other. In fact, Jesus had said this, Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Think of how shocked people would have been to hear that. The gates of righteousness are closed to you. Uh, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the superficially religious, the Pharisees. You must somehow exceed those who name God, but live like he doesn't exist. You must have a real righteousness. You can't be like those people who clean up really nicely, but inside are like whitewashed tombs. Corrupt. Rotten. And and we wonder this morning, what hope is there for people who misunderstand and mismeasure Jesus in such ways? And that brings us back to Psalm 118. The psalmist shows us not only Christ's entry into Jerusalem, and not only his rejection by the religious leaders of his day, 
Psalm 118 also shows us Jesus' crucifixion. Did you notice that? Look at verses 17 and 18. The king is speaking here now, and he says, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Now, the the Hebrew people who, who first sang this maybe thought of Moses, Moses striking the rock. Remember that? And he, Not that you were there, but you remember reading about it. And, and, and God's justice, if you will, applied to Moses was a severe chastening, wasn't it? In fact, that's another sin among God's people that we look at and say, what's the big deal? He got a little angry. How could you not get angry with those people? And for that, God says to Moses, you'll not enter the promised land. Some believe perhaps Moses wrote Psalm 118. We don't know. Maybe later generations who sang that hymn thought of David, whose life certainly bore evidence of God's chastening. Many of the psalms are to do with that. But how can we not sing this psalm today without thinking of Jesus who went to Calvary's cross and died in agony as God's anointed deliverer? What what was he chastened for by God? Your sin and my sin. And, and, And what a chastening. That had to be. The shadow of the cross looms really large in this psalm. Look at verse 27. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. What a strange phrase that is. The horns of the altar were dabbed with blood when the lambs were slain. But the lambs themselves were not bound to the horns of the altar. What what is this talking about? Is, Is it possible that the horns of the altar are the arms of a Roman cross? Where mercy and justice for God's people collide. The Lamb of God was bound there, wasn't he? How different was Calvary from a few days earlier on Palm Sunday? Matthew again describes it this way. He says, and when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. Bind the sacrifice to the horns of of the altar. How are the gates of righteousness open to you, unrighteous as you are? How will you enter into the glad welcome of God for his people? Only by faith that your sin has been covered by the blood of this sacrifice, the Lord's anointed 
the king. The blessed man of Psalm 1. Remember that? Please tell me you remember that. The anointed king of Psalm 2. The good shepherd of Psalm 23 who gives his life for the sheep. The writer of Hebrews says this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he, Jesus, the King, has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. It is only in Jesus Christ that there is salvation. Only by faith in this king are the gates of righteousness opened for you. The king is the gate. And all who belong to the king share in his victory. I wonder today, is this king, this Jesus, your king? Or do you yet follow a Jesus of your own imagining? Do you see in Christ the cornerstone that God would have you get your life in line with? A king to serve, a king to follow. The Savior is the King. The King is the Savior. There's only one. Will you not receive his work for you by faith today and follow him? Or are you yet on the broad way, living toward that wide gate that leads to wrath? Oh, you'll meet God there. Don't worry about that. Do you realize that Psalm 118 is very possibly the last hymn that Jesus sang before he was crucified for you and for me? Not sure. But the cross came at the time of Passover, didn't it? And this was part of the Hallel, the Egyptian Hallel that started in Psalm 113, went through Psalm 118, In its types and its shadows, this song is portraying Christ as our Passover lamb. The king is the Passover. The king is the lamb. So in our Gospels, we're told, for example, that Jesus and his disciples met for the Passover. And and when they were done, they they sang a hymn and went out into the garden, didn't they? I I wonder what hymn it was. Very likely, this would have been their last hymn. And the crowd sang this hymn so incorrectly on that first Sunday. And the Pharisees sang this song so incorrectly, so hypocritically. And Jesus sang this song with deadly accuracy. Bind the sacrifice to the horns of the altar 
I shall not die, but live. The Lord has not given me over to death. How that must have encouraged our Savior's soul as he began his agony. As he went to the cross for his people. Do you see how prophetic this psalm is? How it's all about Jesus? His triumphal entry in Jerusalem, his rejection by the religious leaders, even his crucifixion. But I want us to see just one more thing from this psalm before we close. So we're getting close. Not terribly close, but we're getting close. And it's to do with this gate. The gate of the Lord. I got hung up on that. What is the great result of the king's death and resurrection? Well, it's the establishment of the church. I mean, the church shows up in the Old Testament all the time. God has a people, doesn't he? A people he is calling to himself. And so the psalmist sings, there is now a great company of God's people who go with the king through the gates of righteousness. And the New Testament tells us that this great multitude is a a people that are not just Hebrew people, but a, a people from every tribe and tongue and nation in from every period of human history. All of them secure in God's glad welcome through faith in the work of their king. How narrow is this gate? Well, it's so narrow, friend, that the burden of your sin, you got to stop carrying it to fit through the gates. Jesus carried it to the cross for you. They no longer carry the heavy burden of their shame. You know anything about shame? They no longer carry the heavy burden of guilt. You know something of guilt? Isn't our king the one who took our guilt upon himself, who bore our shame on that cross? And God's people no longer live as those alienated from him. Theirs is the narrow way that leads to life. They live in glad alignment with the king. Once more from Psalm 118. Look at verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone of what? The church. (laughs) Listen to the commentary of the Apostle Peter about Psalm 118. This is from 1 Peter 2. Come to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, 
precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Do you believe on him? Then you'll never know shame before God. Aren't you glad for that today? We who are in Christ are living stones in the very house of God, set right and kept in place by the work of Christ, our cornerstone. Do you, do you believe on him? I beg you not to leave today wondering. You say, well, what if I don't have enough faith? How many of you know that weak faith in a strong Savior gets you to heaven? You are not saved by the strength of your faith, friend. You're saved by the strength of Christ. Rejected indeed by men. That's the bitter irony of Palm Sunday, isn't it? That's why we never know what to do with Palm Sunday. But chosen by God and precious as your king, he comes to Zion, the psalmist says, to win for you a great victory and share that victory with you. Let's just begin, end where we began. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. How, how can we not give thanks to the Lord for his goodness today? For his mercy that endures forever. It's no wonder this psalm begins and ends with praise. The, the, the kids got it right in their singing, didn't they? You know, it, it occurs to me that would have been a shorter sermon just to, just to, just to let them sing. <laughs> Is their song yours? Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. Do you see how this psalm is all about the one who came from heaven to earth? From the earth to the cross, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Will you not leave here today lifting his name on high? Who is this Jesus, this king? This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your great work for us. We thank you that no matter where we look in your book, we meet you, Jesus. And you've shown us that again this day. Lord, I pray that as you have been lifted up, Lord, would you be gracious and strong to call sinners to yourself. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as your people to live in the direction of this victory that we share because of what you've done for us. We ask you this, Jesus, for your namesake.